0: section 15 of the american egypt this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by john smith the american egypt by channing arnold and Friedrich j tabor frost Section fifteen. In search of the Mayan Mecca. Part one. The island of Cozumel lies twelve miles from the easternmost shore of Yucatan in the Caribbean Sea between twenty degrees and twenty one degrees north lat and eighty six degrees and eighty seven degrees west long. Its name in Mayan means Isle of Swallows. In allusion, tradition relates, to a Mayan deity tel cuzon the swallow-legged who was here chiefly worshipped but the history of the island contradicts this tradition for tel cuzon appears to have been quite a minor god in the mayan olympus while a religious importance exceeding that of any other spot in the mayan countries of central america seems to have attached to this island according to the earliest spanish chroniclers of the conquest it was isla Sagrada. The sacred isle of the Mayan race, to it, four centuries back the tribes from the mainland of Yucatan, from Tabasco and Chiapas, from Guatemala, and what is today British Honduras, made yearly pilgrimage. In its center rose, say the Spanish analysts of the sixteenth century, a grand temple, the Mecca of the Mayan race, towards Cozumel. We had always eagerly looked because of this undoubted ancient sanctity and because we hope that deep in her impenetrable forests this holy of holies might still exist cortez in fifteen nineteen bernal diaz is the chronicler destroyed a towered temple and threw down the idols but it is more than likely that this was not mecca for the spanish account does not admit of doubt that the shrine so destroyed stood upon the beach and there is some evidence for our belief that the mayan mecca was in the heart of the island moreover our hopes of a find were strengthened by the knowledge that the spaniards never thoroughly explored the island that to this day it has never been explored four centuries back it was practically what it is now one vast dense virgin forest through the gloomy tangle of which even indians could scarce find their way On our return to Isla de Mujeres from our explorations of Cancun and the adjoining coast, misfortune overtook one of us in the shape of a sharp attack of malaria. Doubtless contracted as a result of our combats with mosquitoes in Cancun. Mujeres was about the most unfortunate place in the world for such an illness, as it was absolutely barren of all fruits or fresh food, and our dietary consisted of tea, biscuits, and rice but we had to make the best of a week or more's delay till the fever abated when given up all idea of covering the 54 miles of open sea which lay between us and cozumel in the small open boat we had so far used we hired a 25 ton schooner for the voyage the hold of this vessel was fitted up with a bed for the invalid and early one morning we made a start the communication between these islands of the caribbean sea is very erratic a regular postal system does not exist and any passing boat is pressed into the service of the post office and made to carry any letters or papers which may be waiting delivery on our voyage from haubach we had been raised to the dignity of mail carriers and now we learnt that our little schooner was to be coolly used as a general passenger boat but when we got on board we found in addition to our crew that the jefe had calmly saddled us with four passengers in addition to the mails but if he had tried to make an excursion steamer of us we really should not have objected for it was such an intense relief to see the last of Muharris. our enforced sojourn there had been a real martyrdom napoleon at elba was really not in it with us perched upon our rocky terraced hut with a westward view of the coast around el Metco. we had been literally like rats in a trap no books no papers nothing to see nowhere to go sand and fan palms rocks and more sand the israelites never longed for the promised land for the canaan of milk and honey fame as we had for cozumel and our escape from the isle of women thus when we found that only four yucatechians were to be made happy by getting something for nothing the ultimate all of all the devout of their race viz a passage at our expense our only feeling was really one of wonder at the jefe's moderation with a fair wind cozumel can be reached in twelve hours from meharis but the trade winds hereabouts seem to drop as the sun gets high and midday saw us lying idly by, our sails flapping gently as the boom swung backwards and forwards in time with the rocking of the vessel on the long, slow, underswell which was scarcely noticeable on the almost oily steel surface of the water. The blistering heat was so intense that it seemed to draw from the water a mist-like steaming vapor. For hours we lay, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean but with the afternoon sure enough there came a gentle gusty breeze rising from nowhere the brown sails for a moment belly out like well-filled corn sacks the boom swings over with a creaking jerky grating noise the dark clear oily blue water breaks up into little gentle ripples at our bow and we are once more moving as darkness falls and the clear azure of the sea turns to a leaden gray we run past cancun this time to seaward at five or six knots but it is dawn before we see the coast of cozumel which is what sailors call raw and is not one to be approached at night time if it can be avoided so we stand off until the morning For if one cannot describe the island's shore as one whose foot spurns back the ocean's roaring tide, it is true enough that that foot is fearsomely shod with coral. As you make your way into the little natural bay and peer down through fathoms of water clear as crystal, you see those ghastly spikes, those evil-looking spires and towers, rising from the bottom, their blackness in the clear water suggestive of their murderous meaning for mariners as we anchor some five hundred yards from the shore the little island of town of san miguel rings the bay a few palm thatched huts a wooden store an open space a custom house with a flagstaff a few small boat shelters of palm leaves to save boats from cracking in the sun and a jetty three feet wide, running out into water waist-deep. Northward, a grove of palm trees, southward stretches, as far as the eye can see the rocky coral beach. At the end of the 18th century, Cozumel, desolate, uninhabited, was the headquarters of the pirate Molas, terror of the Carib Sea, and its rock-and-reef-bound coast, broken here and there by tiny land-locked inlets, the water at the entrances discolored by the sunken corals looked the ideal shelter for a pirate horde we were not long in starting for the rocky bay of san miguel in the crazy dugout which served as longboat for our schooner a quarter of a mile lay between us and the shore and it looked certain we should be swamped for with two indians our packing cases and guns made a top heavy cargo But these islanders are born sailors, and the way they maneuvered us over the swell towards the small landing stage was extraordinary. As we neared the beach, the swell broke up into rollers, and once or twice it was nearly all up with us. A shark, grasping the situation, swam in after us, showing his ugly eyes above the green water, but he lost his breakfast. Cozumel is a veritable garden of the Hesperides and Eden without the serpent. For curiously enough, the snakes, so plentiful on the mainland, and on the other islands, have died off here. It has a beauty quite of its own, not the bewilderingly sweet exotic charm, the impatient luxuriance of the damp hot Antilles. Rather, are you impressed with the serenity of nature, her queenly quietude? A great peace lies on the forest, and on the sun-kissed paths which girdle the island's coastline. Sixty years back, when the American traveler Stevens landed, the island was uninhabited. Now there are but two villages, San Miguel, and ten miles southward, El Cedral, and only around these and along the western coast is the land cultivated. Their gardens and ranches are rich with oranges and limes, pineapples and sugar cane, bananas and banana apples, grapefruit, and the delicious silky fleshed gonabana, with groves of coconut palms, with figs, with the white starry flowers of tobacco, with the fluffy bursting pods of cotton and very colored spice bushes. If Cozumel could be cleared in all her fifty miles length and fifteen breadth, what a garden of the gods she would become. To bargain well one must be a good actor. We were eager to unearth some of the treasures of the island, and eager to find someone whose services as a guide in our search would be worth hiring. Avars is the best-setting sin of all yucatecans and we knew that if we were to get any native help at anything like reasonable rates, we must pretend an indifference— which we did not feel the yucatecans do not understand archaeology they think it a cloak for less innocent treasure hunting mollus was not the only pirate in the eighteenth century who resorted to cozumel and there is no doubt that many a goodly pile of doubloons of silver ingots and perchance bags of brazilian diamonds are buried on its shores some few years back a band of enterprising americans did actually unearth such a treasure enclosed in an iron-bound box and buried in the woods surrounding an ideally piratical cove halfway between san miguel and el thus suspicion attached to us at once and nothing we could say would persuade the islanders that a couple of apparently sane men would take the trouble to hire schooners and make long journeys for the sole purpose of measuring old stone walls and digging up beads and broken pot shreds. We met this mistrust by hiring a hut and settling down to quiet housekeeping and a survey of the island's coast, confident that we should hear something sooner or later as to the existence of the traditional temple we were seeking. We did not have to wait long. The Yucatecan will do anything for money, and the report that we were Ruin hunters soon brought to our hut Yucatecans on the make. There were not many whose tales were worth hearing. Nobody knew anything definite. Perhaps half a dozen of the inhabitants had crossed to the eastern coast. Finally, we did unearth an old ranchero who was said to have declared that, when a lad out hunting in the forest, he and his brother had come across a temple on a pyramid approached by steps. And decorated with blue and red wall paintings we expected the holiest of mayan shrines to be thus simple and unadorned with carvings or figures was this mecca it was fortunate for us that the old fellow was away on his ranchito near el cedral for in our first excitement at getting what looked like a corroboration of our belief that the mayan mecca actually still exists we might have shown such eagerness as would have sent up his price to a truly tropical figure. As it was, we greeted the informant with a carefully simulated indifference, and promised that when we were over at El cedral we would look Don Lewis up and hear the story from his own lips. Meanwhile, we had ample work before us in first examining the immediate neighborhood of San Miguel, and then making a tour of the island coastline of the buildings which were found around san Miguel by the spaniards under grialva in fifteen eighteen not one stone remains on another the itinerary kept by grialva runs on the fourth of march we saw upon a promontory a white house it was in the form of a small tower and appeared to be eight palms in length and the height of a man the fleet came to anchor about six miles from the coast the next morning we set sail to reconnoiter a cape which we saw at a distance and which the pilot told us was the island of yucatan between it and the point of Cucunial we found a gulf into which we entered and came near the shore of cozumel which we coasted besides the tower which we had seen we discovered fourteen others of the same form the spaniards landed one hundred armored men and came to the chief tower where they found no one the ascent to this tower was by eighteen steps the base was very massive one hundred and eighty feet in circumference at the top rose a small tower of the height of two men placed one above the other within were figures bones and idols which they adored the village was paved with concave stone the streets elevated at the sides descended inclining towards the middle which was paved with large stones the houses are constructed of stone from the foundation to half the height of the wall and covered with straw to judge by the edifices and houses these indians appear to be very ingenious of these temples not a trace now remains around san magal save at the north end where a path through a plantation of coconuts leads to such a scene of vandalism as might be calculated to rouse the indignation of even the conservator of monuments if he remained awake long enough to reach the spot here what had obviously been a minor temple has been broken up and converted into a quarry heaps of stones broken past recognition lie in a confused heap with smashed indian pottery the largest stones have been carved into the village and formed a pathetic hotch-potch in a garden close to our hut one of these was a remarkable carving representing a figure of a god seated cross-legged in true buddhist attitude in a niche Stevens, in eighteen forty two, merely landed in the Bay of San Miguel, and made no attempt at any survey of the island, and states its length quite incorrectly as thirty miles. Cozumel is roughly rhomboidal in shape, and from its extreme northeast to its extreme southwest is as near as can be fifty four miles. Its breadth varies, but on an average is about fifteen miles. At each corner of the island there are ruins those on the northeast being the best preserved the group consists of two buildings still intact one practically on the beach and the second a few yards in the bush they are but small and might easily answer grava's description being simply one story-eyed unornamented with hieroglyphics or figures these ruined structures at each corner of the island certainly suggest that in the years long past the coasts were sacred and all landing was challenged at elsadraw we were told that there were ruins intact and we made arrangements at once to ride over there the road is just the winding coast path which griddles the island at no part more than a yard or two wide it leads at first over the flattened ledges of coral which divide the beach from the woods then as the woods thicken to the water edge you ride through tunnels of greenery where the road traverses the wooded bases of the triangles of coral which at intervals jut out from the shore like the spikes on a dog's collar to emerge again on to level stretches of golden sand the palms bending rustingly over its glistening surface here and there where the coral promontories lay close together were quiet bays the trees growing far out on the little capes making horseshoe-shaped green frames for the sapphire-blue water lying almost pond-like in its stillness it would be difficult to exaggerate the beauty of this sunny ocean path playing In its long arbors of woodland hide and seek with the sun and the sea, the long stretches of sand are everywhere, rich with perhaps the most beautiful shell in the world, that giant gastropod, technically called strombus, but commonly known as mountain shell. It is the largest gastropod known, the shell sometimes weighing four or five pounds, and the much-expanded outer lip which earns it the popular nickname of wing-shell is coloured the richest rose-pink shading off towards the inner curve of the shell into an exquisite and delicate salmon tint these shells are so lovely that it is hard to believe their inhabitants feed on dead and decaying animal matter on this cozumel shore they are not numbered by twos or threes or half-dozens but are literally scattered in myriad profusion the natives break up the shells with machetes and eat the fish in the little coral coves it is nothing unusual to see the whole surface of the rocks littered with this wonderful rose-pink debris don luis villanueva whose name had been mentioned to us in reference to his alleged discovery of a temple in the bush owns the little rancho of san francisco some six miles north of el Cedral. we arrived there about midday very hot and very hungry don luis proved to be a wiry little sallow-faced man small-featured with keen small eyes short grizzled hair drooping straggly moustache and one long tuft of grey growing from the extreme end of his chin like the beard of a billy-goat his farmhouse was simplicity itself formed of wood stake palisading thatched with palm-leaves within the only furniture were string hammocks two or three low rawhide seated stools a trestle-like table formed of unhoon poles bound together raft fashion with lianas supported on four small unbarked tree trunks the floor was just the natural earth and in one corner of the hut a fire burnt every yucatecan builds his fire on the floor inside his house in this way with no arrangements for chimney and the wonder is the huts are not oftener burnt down in the further corner were piled bales of tobacco-leaf and sacks of rough cotton from the rafters hung open baskets filled with tortillas green and red peppers onions and fruits and here and there hung a bunch of bananas ripening don luis is a widower and his housekeeping was done by his daughter a pretty brown-skinned girl of about twenty whose single thin garment of cotton only accentuated the plump attractiveness of her figure as all yucatecan women always are she was at the metete or tortilla tray when we entered but left her work and came forward prettily to greet us the other inhabitants of the hut were don luis's two grandsons healthy black-eyed intelligent-looking little rascals and a host of terribly emaciated dogs and puppies melancholy half-fred brittled cats so thin that they looked as if they had not got a purr in them and the inevitable chickens and pigs after we had some food don luis saddled his horse and led the way through the woods to el cedral he made a picturesque figure ahead of us the quaint little weary brown-legged form in its loose cottons and big soup-plate straw hat his bare feet deep in the mexican stirrups his right hand eternally swinging the loose end of the lasso rope fastened on the saddle-bows yucatecan horses are good goers but they want understanding it's a case of spare the rope and spoil the horse every yucatecan rider swings his lasso rope the whole time the horse does not want to be beaten it's enough that he sees the rope going round and then he keeps going we reached the village while the sun was still blazing high a cluster of palm thatched huts grouped round a square of wiry grass these yucatecan helmets are as like as peas in a pod the male villagers steamed out to welcome us with a cordiality which was quite overwhelming we really thought that at last we had found the exception which proved the rule of yucatecan averse in hospitality el sidral received us with open arms el sidral walked behind us in its fifties applauding our attempts at spanish civilties laughing when we laughed grave when we were grave el begged us to stay with it indeed would take no refusal el insisted that to us should be paid the meed of honour due to such distinguished visitors namely that our hammocks should be slung for the night in the casa municipal the village town hall a distinction much as if london's lord mayor gave you leave to sling your hammocks in the guildhall between gog and magog and del draw developed an inordinate interest in procuring for supper just what might tickle our palates but we were doomed to disillusionment end of section fifteen recording by john smith